Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Data Rebels on Tap. We are your hosts, Kieran Healy and Randy Pitcher. Today, we're talking about how we keep up in the technological rat race. More specifically, how do Data Rebels keep up with the constantly evolving and changing data ecosystem? But before all that, Randy, what are you drinking today? Uh, today, for regular listeners, this won't come as a surprise, I am on flavor four of my White Claw variety pack. So this is strawberry. Um, like many of the others, it is delicious, though um, having had them all now, I can say that the grapefruit was miserable, very bad. That's uh, essentially bug spray. But uh, I've been thinking of them as the four White Claw of the apocalypse with our current uh, situation. And this one, I think, is the best. It's very good. What about you, Kieran? You've always got something interesting. What are you drinking? Yeah, I'm still on that Eureka Heights train. Shout out to them. They're still open during this whole COVID-19 quarantine. And they're uh, doing drive-thru beer. So hit them up if you're in the Houston, Texas area. (laughs) Killed me. But um, yeah, today I'm drinking the Mostly Harmless IPA. It's like a very light, hoppy, pale pale ale. um, And it's got a little hint of citrus in it. It's quite nice. Is it is it an India pale ale? I it probably is, but you said it was an IPA. I think it's an IPA. Yeah, they don't actually explicitly say that on the can, oh. but they call it pale ale. So I'm assuming it's. So I I've been waiting for an opportunity. I knew it would come up. I do have a little piece of trivia about India pale ale. Oh really? Uh, for my wife, yeah she um, she studied like food and stuff in school. Um, and she told me that India pale ales are called that and they're all very bitter, right? You've had them. They're very hoppy. Um, they're pretty popular now uh, for some reason. I can't stand them, but people seem to like them. Hey, they have uh, taste. They're better than uh, <laughs> they're better than Bud Light, you know? Uh-huh. Nothing, not that there's anything wrong with Bud Light, right? But sometimes sometimes I like to drink I like to drink something that I can taste. Yeah, okay. So it's setting the bar high. Um, better than Bud Light. That's the tagline for IPAs. Sure. Uh, but, <laughs> well, don't quote me on that. The, the term India, where does that come from? Um, so back when before refrigeration they were still drinking beer um and the the british when they would um create the beer that were going to ship to india um without refrigeration it needed to keep and normal beer would go bad right but uh the bitter nature of hops has like an acidic quality that makes the beer keep over long train rides so they would call it india pale ale because they would just load it with hops so that it would make the trip to india uh and that's where we get the term huh I would never have guessed that. That's some interesting beer history right there. Yeah, we'll try to keep that coming. That's really um, maybe not what everyone tuned in for, but uh, it's what I wanted to talk about. But what what they maybe tuned in for today is us talking about the different ways that we um, keep up to date with the tech we use. It's probably no secret that we work in a really evolving time for tech, uh, particularly in the cloud. Uh, Really, literally week to week, a new service could be announced, a change to a pricing model, And when we're working with clients who are new to this space, they trust us to be experts. So it's really critical to our roles that we stay up to date. Great examples of that recently where Fivetran just announced a new pricing model, right? And then also Azure Synapse, a new new cloud data warehouse just came on the scene. And I'm I'm sure we'll have a future episode about discussing the benefits and negatives of all different sorts of cloud data warehouses. But it it just lends itself to the fact that the, the big data and cloud space is constantly evolving and changing. Yeah, new stuff, um, changes, those aren't the like every once in a while case. Those are the everyday case now. So we're only two people, right? We only have a limited amount of time in the day. Um, How do we stay up to date while still getting things done? And really getting to the point, I think when a lot of people think of this, they think, well, there's documentation. Um, And Kieran, you've had 
we talked about this at depth. You have a really passionate um, kind of position on why documentation, go read the docs. That's not good enough in today's ecosystem. Can you explain more about that? Absolutely. Yeah. No. Well, while I'm a big proponent of documentation when I'm on assignment, let me get that out of the way right now. Sure. Yeah. No. Because I'm on assignment right now, and I'm sure they would hate to hear that the docs aren't enough, right? Because um, it's really important to understand that the documentation is extremely important because it allows you to understand what the developer was thinking. And that can be a double-edged sword because what the developer is thinking is not necessarily what a new person to a, a new software technology is going to understand. They're going to be experienced developers usually who are deeply involved in the creation of this product. And while that makes for great code, it can make for really bad documentation where many assumptions and biases can be baked into that documentation, which makes it really hard for newcomers to understand. And unless you have an iron will of, I am going to learn this come hell or high water. Yeah, and the time. And the time. There's a huge time investment. For example, I love to use, or I'll scour GitHub's and read Python code for hours. And that's a super inefficient way of learning something. But once I would say, once you learn it, you actually physically have that knowledge with you. Yeah. But so when we're talking about docs, like especially that contextualization, you mentioned before we started recording Kubernetes docs, which I think anyone who's worked with the Kubernetes docs can attest that they're one of the best examples of online documentation. Oh, absolutely. Fabulous. But there are still things in there that you can't just walk in cold to. Uh, containers being a really good example. Like you've got to have a baseline understanding of what a container is. Um, you've got to understand maybe a little history of the Kubernetes project that could help you understand why certain things are done certain ways. Uh, and then the concept of like microservices versus monoliths, while not necessarily explicitly required to work with Kubernetes, um, understanding how you might split a giant project apart and why you might want to do that, uh, I think is critical to really uh, internalizing the information there. So these are things that you can't just go to the docs and read, though some some of the concepts are covered well there. Um, but more broadly, how do you get an understanding for the, the ecosystem, for how professionals think and use this technology in their daily lives and how you can take um, your existing mental models? Because most of us, we have some map of the technology ecosystem in our world. And instead of having to replace that wholesale, how do we bolt on top of that and build like this this knowledge map? Well, I know that um, most developers that I know, including yourself, uh, we tend to read different news outlets specifically tailored to uh, technology, whether that's big data, whether that's cloud, whether that's warehousing. And we try to keep up with those sorts of new technologies. So some great websites that do this are Hacker News uh, mm-hmm. and Y Combinator. Those two have a daily um, newsletter that gets sent out. And specifically, there's even a great the one that I subscribe to is the Python one. They have great libraries that you can go check out and start on your personal GitHubs that you say that you can come back later and look at. Yes, yeah, uh, so that's in, in this like first kind of section here. Let's talk about um, the kind of getting started resources. So the things I would sure. recommend, like having gone through different iterations of learning styles and over the years adding resources to this list, removing them. These are the ones that if I were starting out today, I would make sure I was paying attention to. And that first one, Hacker News, uh, which uh, comes from the company, the Y Combinator, um, the investment company. I don't know if that's the exact right word for it. Um, they they invest in early stage startups. Uh, I think Fivetran was one of their uh, their incubators. Um, 
Airbnb, maybe, you know, I should have prepared for this. This would have been a great thing to write down. Uh, but really big names that we are familiar with have come out of this um, startup incubator. And they maintain this um, hacker news site. It's similar to Reddit in a way if you've used Reddit. But I like to think there's less trash there. It's typically higher quality content. Um, and it's a great way to start the day. When I get that first cup of coffee, I open Hacker News and I look to uh, see articles about really anything, a new technology, a new uh, code practice, or um, an essay about why you should or shouldn't use um, group buys with aliases, um, like things like that. You can see those come up there. Oh, absolutely. I think, um, so you're saying that Airflow, the technology that Airbnb uses a lot came out of there too. That's really interesting because I've used Airflow all the time and I think it's it's great. It's kind of, it would have been nice to know about it about six months earlier. and Maybe that's where I would have know, heard about it before before then. Yeah. Airflow came out of where? Uh, Airbnb. Yeah, yeah, okay. And then those come out of, I believe, Y Combinator. So yeah, so it kind of yeah. comes in a circle here. Yeah, but that's it, what, people yeah. will comment, like they'll, they'll add a, a post on like a, a new release or uh, different essays from large companies will go there. So that's nice. Um, but that is really just for ingesting, I would say like the, 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 the culture of some of these technologies and some specifics. But when you're net new to the space, uh, maybe you, you don't know a ton about the cloud at all. You're trying to get more concrete with it, or you, you haven't learned your first programming language yet. Um, another thing I would add to that tool chest are like video learning sites. And the two I recommend most strongly, the one I, I used to use is Pluralsight. Um, Pluralsight has a lot of, I would say, especially good enterprise content. So I learned C Sharp there. Um, I learned a lot of big data on-prem big data, like Hadoop world stuff. Uh, through there, my first Python and JavaScript came from Pluralsight. So it's a great all-around base platform. But when I started focusing my career more on the cloud, I found that the content w- would age a little faster than I thought. So like some more timeless concepts exist there well, but things that get updated and they change very frequently, um, like the cloud, uh, I pivoted to acloud.guru. Um, okay. And that's an incredible site. Um, they just bought the Linux Academy. So they're merging. That's interesting. They also have a, a, a weekly series of YouTube videos. Uh, so they have AWS this week, Azure this week, GCP this week. They even have a Kubernetes monthly. Um, so I get those channels up on YouTube. I'll watch those as they come out. Uh, they'll talk about releases or they'll attend conferences. But then anytime I need to learn a new project. So I had to learn um, a new feature of BigQuery, right? Uh, yeah. This last week. Um, instead of, I mean, yes, I went to the docs, but I also went to see if a cloud guru had some like getting started overview stuff, maybe comparing it to something in AWS that I might know better, um, adding those contexts that they're not always in the docs. So those are great services. Um, I don't know. Have you used learning services like that in the past? So I just got turned on to a cloud guru by you and I'm really interested because self-admittedly I'm not the best AWS person. Sure. Like I can get around it because I've used Azure and GCP before and I know the same similar concepts, but I'm not as fluent as I'd like to be. Yeah. And I saw that they have an a, um, AWS for data architects and data engineers. And I'm really excited to go try those out because I really want to learn those those core skills so that I can be just as proficient as I am in other environments. Like I know how to create a service account in Google, in Google and I can create one and send it to you so that you can query tables and I can do that in Azure. But in AWS, I wouldn't know where to begin. Like I know the concepts, I know how to build, I know how to build them yeah. in certain environments, but maybe I don't know how to do it in a specific uh, cloud platform. So um, I'm definitely going to be using it, especially since I'm looking to get my certifications in the architect roles. 
That's a huge one. The the A-Cloud Guru especially, if you know what track or what career track you want to go on, you can just go in there and they build it out. I think of it like, um, you ever play Skyrim? The, oh, absolutely, uh, dude. Right? I got like 200 hours in that thing. It's like you register like, okay, I'm going to be a mage. Well, you got to learn the fire spell and then you got to learn the like firebomb rune and you, you just kind of go. It's kind of nerdy. But when I go there, I, th- I feel the same way. Like, okay, you start, you got to learn the shell a little bit, just a little bit. Don't freak out. Then you got to SSH. Uh, and then you learn about the cloud overview, like the marketplace of the cloud. Why is it such a big deal? And then you get all the way down to like really advanced system administration, um, these like professional level certs. Uh, I started knowing really nothing about the cloud uh, in early 2018. And then just a cloud guru got me through my uh, AWS associate architect uh, solutions architect certification. So that single was a one-stop shop site. It blows the first party AWS content out of the water. Very cool. Yeah, no, we'll have to bring up an episode about Bethesda games because I think I have like (laughs) over 200 hours in like Fallout 3, New Vegas, and Skyrim, and Oblivion. I haven't played Morrowind, and I haven't played 1 and 2, but I plan to get around to Fallout 1 and 2 eventually. Okay. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of those games. Even though they're buggy, they're super buggy. I I still love them. Oh, no, that's the best part, man. (laughs) It's I played Morrowind, which was really hard as a, like a child because it's not an easy game. It's like really difficult. I'm like, oh, I'll be a mage. I'll go like kill. It. No, like the bats would kill me, man. Like just the stuff, <laughs> Roman. <laughs> uh, we're going off topic a little bit, but that's yeah. okay. We can get back on topic with our next uh, next source, which is Python morsels. Now, I haven't used these, but Randy, I've heard you've used these to prepare for um, different Python projects. So why don't you yeah. tell me about your experience with that? Yeah, so uh, Python Morsels, uh, this is what I tell my friends who, like, they're working engineers and they need to brush up for, like, a big interview or something. Um, Python Morsels is this site um, that allows you to sign up for weekly or even monthly um, email. I don't want to call them challenges. They're like homework assignments, labs, really, for Python specifically, designed uh, by a professional Python instructor um, who I really trust uh, to help you understand some of the less obvious, less beaten path um, aspects of the language because Python is such a flexible, opinionated language in many ways. So uh, how do I make sure I'm not like implementing something from scratch that has a somewhat more obscure pre-built class, right? That I could just leverage and it would solve all my problems. Uh, so I sign up for that, uh, especially towards the end of the years when things get a little quiet and I want to keep my skills sharp. And I mean, that that alone, it's a paid service, but they have a free trial. Um, I would recommend if you're trying to learn a programming language, Python's a great one to get started with because it has a lot of parallels to other languages that you could use. So it's a great central one. It's a little easier to pick up. The dev environment's easier to set up. Um, And then something like this, once you've gotten through like the basic hello world stuff, can keep you advancing that that experience and really develop a, a mastery of the language. That's awesome because I would consider myself an intermediate Python, intermediate to expert Python programmer. And I'd be really interested to see uh, how they do initialization of functions in Python, how they handle yeah. classes, how they really take that. Because Python's a functional programming language, but you can get some really useful uh, tips and tricks out of using object-oriented design patterns. So I'd be really interested to see if they adopt those sort of patterns or if they try to eschew them. I, I, I found that the styling of my code has become more consistent um, where, because I don't write consistently in a single language every day, like some days are Python, some's Go, some's Java, C Sharp, back and forth. A lot of it's just bash scripting. Um, when I do get back to Python, I'll, I'll find myself writing in like a Java style, right? Even like underscores versus camel case. Like, yeah, I gotcha. <laughs> um, but having done this uh, consistently, like even across projects, uh, I can't recommend it enough. And, and that brings me to um, 
probably the last one in what I call the Getting Started series. This one, we were on the fence a little bit, whether this should be more advanced. But it's called The Morning Paper um, at blog.acollier. I never know how to pronounce that guy's last name. Acollier. Collier.org. Yeah. Uh, uh, we should mention, we're going to try to include these um, links in the, the show notes, which is a thing I've heard other podcasts mention. I assume there's a thing called show notes that we can put links into. Um, links in the description, y'all. Yeah, in the, descri- <laughs> in the description. Um, that way you don't have to memorize all this stuff. But the morning paper, this, um, I think he's a college student because he goes on semester breaks. I don't know exactly uh, what he does, but he finds an actual white paper, like, published peer-reviewed white paper reviews it and then summarizes it like just just the 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 high levels um and i found that he has made white paper reading uh more approachable for me like i'm still not going to crack open a white paper but he's done some cover like he had a, a really influential agricultural iot paper um that i liked a lot when i was working on the previous podcast we had iot on tap um, and ever since then, I keep that up and he'll, he'll post stuff. He did one on like how Snowflake is implemented under the hood and like why that's good. Um, that helped me have a deeper understanding of, uh, of the tools I use every day. So the morning paper that hits your email uh, inbox, if it's not something you're interested in, the best part, you just click delete. Next week might be something more, more interesting. Um, yeah, pretty- so, um, but these are some intro stuff uh, that once you once you start getting a taste for this kind of thing, you find like what your learning style is. Kieran, you mentioned that you go into repos, that you're much more hands-on. You like to get dirtier with it. And like me, I find that super overwhelming to the point where I'll just like push it off and I won't do anything. Where I need something that's easy to start getting into but has depth to grow. So what what are those second layer kind of resources once you're in you, – you know a little bit more what you like. You want to go more in-depth on a topic. Um, what, what could we talk about? So in general, a good source of more intermediate topics are podcasts. And one that I would look at more specifically would be the, uh, Kubernetes podcast. Sure. Um, they have some great contact. This is, this is content from top level engineers like Google, Google engineers, right? Yeah. So they, they, they typically know, they know their stuff and they know what they're developing. So if you really want to take your knowledge to the next level, and like we said, the case docs are great, but hearing it word of mouth from the people who are actually building new deployments and creating new branches to create new features on the, yeah. on the tech that you're using, by all means, check out the, the podcast because they'll explain their design patterns and like, okay, why did we choose to make this operator? Why did we add this one? Mm-hmm. Uh, why did we decide to create the scaling feature, this new scaling feature that we've got? I, I like it because it feels more living than the docs, even though the docs are living, but you're really getting like, the direct pulse of the Kubernetes project and the people they're able to invite on and have uh, talk about how they implement it. It kind of humanizes this process. I think I'm certainly guilty of deifying the people who work on like Kubernetes or these other large projects, like as untouchable, unknowable people, but they're just, they're normal people who are passionate and um, they're, they're contributing to make it work. The last little thing I'll say about this podcast specifically, uh, I got into this um, at the end of last year. I like to take, a lot of time off towards the end of the year is probably December. It's pretty quiet. And I, I must've binged listen to 30 of these. Um, and I found that the cloud native uh, computing foundation, things that have other, not just Kubernetes, but other cloud native um, content. So like uh, what all is up there? I think Istio. No, I don't think Istio is in there. Um, but they, they have, uh, uh, again, this is another list I should have put together of, uh, just things that make like Prometheus, I think is up there is another one. And so that's like a metric aggregator. Um, I, Fluent D I think is part of that. And that's a log aggregator. Um, okay. 
So it's a collection of these like cloud native technologies that can be pieced together to build modern scalable architectures. And they do a lot of content in that space as well that help me understand uh, how these things come together, separate from just having one Kubernetes instance on its own. Well, that's really cool. Do you have another one of these things that you can talk about? I, I see that we have, yeah. I, I know that you do a lot of buzz SRE work for us as well. But yeah, I so I made a, I made that pivot part of like getting into Kubernetes, like the podcast stuff last year was trying to pivot more towards an SRE focused um, career. And I signed up for uh, a weekly newsletter called SRE weekly. And that's, SRE is site reliability engineering. Um, and this Newsletter, just like some of the other ones we talked about, comes straight into your um, your inbox, and they aggregate links uh, having to do with uh, SRE practice across the web um, for best practices for like working on call, for monitoring, for different solution approaches people have tried. They publish, and then my favorite thing, um, something I'm really interested in, are postmortems. So, say there's been an outage, and like in this last week with the with the um, quarantine, everyone's working from home. I, I recall like Microsoft had an outage for Teams and uh, video game services, Xbox, they had outages. And the, the latest one, they have a, a really nice write-up from this video game, Destiny 2, which I don't play, but I know it's really popular. And they I had an outage. I heard about it, yeah. I remember the Destiny 2 subreddit went crazy. When it was down? Oh, yeah. No, it was everyone was like posting constantly like, hey, Dude. service is down. This is a terrible game. Why is it down? And I'm going, oh, because everybody's at home trying to play it right now. That's the um, reason. So they have a really uh, interesting write-up from Destiny about what happened, why it happened, how they handled it. Um, and these things, like every site has their, or like every big company, they have their blog, like the Uber blog, the Netflix blog, and they're co- good content. But this is a nice uh, collection of just those SRE topics that I recommend signing up for. Um, and then this other one that's, it, they're not posting so much anymore, is the Data Engineering Weekly. It's similar um, mm-hmm. I started getting into that back when I was a Hadoop developer in like 2017, 2016. Yeah, um, stuff. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, so they talk about Spark, but they also talk about like newer storage technologies. I, I remember I heard about Druid from them and went on to actually implement something that like would process trillions of records and then, wow. yeah, spit it out because it pre, it pre aggregates them and that makes it very fast. I remember um, Riot Games talking about that. They had an outage in their service because they, I think they were very much on a, um, a dupe level architecture, a similar SRE sort of situation where they had yeah. tons of people trying to compute metrics and they were stuck on a, a Spark uh, cluster doing aggregations and they had to trans, they had to move to the cloud to actually finally get their wow. uh, their scale implemented. And this is like a, this is a million dollar company. Actually, I think it's a billion dollar company now. Right. Yeah. They definitely don't make a small amount of money. Like they no. do a ton of revenue. They do a lot. Right. So, yeah. they, they have League of Legends, right? Is that right? Yeah, so they're League of Legends, Teamfight Tactics, and I think they have one more game that they're they just announced a an FPS, I think. Oh, really? Okay yeah, they, they just announced it. So yeah, I, I never really got into those games personally, but I know they're they're very popular. Okay, yeah. So um, if you're interested in like why sites break, what people actually do about it at big sites, like no nonsense talk. I'm actually often really interested at how um, how frank. Uh, some and open some of these contents are SRE weekly is good to go to. And if you're interested in just big data in general, you want to see what developments there are. I would say in a more on-premise uh, biased way, though there's definitely still some cloud content or more hybrid stuff where you're doing like hive, but it's storing the files in S3 instead yep. of HDF. Um, then the data engineering uh, weekly is the one to go with. 
Sounds good, Randy. Hey, I wanted to check in with you right here, real quick. Hey, hey. How's your uh, how's your how's your drink going? Your as drink? usual, spectacular. Um, these are hydrating, delicious drinks. I can't recommend them enough. White Claw. I've heard that there are some pretenders to the throne. Uh, Truly is another one. I've tried it. I don't like it as much. Um, and I've also heard that there's a mad rush from the big um, the beer companies to tool up for hard seltzers like this. Bud Light's already got one, dude. They got one coming. Well, I know Bud Light had the the oh, it was a it's a margarita, but they didn't call it that. It was like a little, you know, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know what you're talking about, but they have um no. The Post Malone's been posting has been like <laughs> literally been posting about it on social media, and he's of also course. been what's it called? Uh, he's been he's been had he's had ads all over Houston, like. Hey, Bud Light Seltzer with with mango and like all that sort of stuff. That's ridiculous. They're funny ads. You should check them out if you get the chance. But um, yeah, no, those companies are all spinning up real real quick. Yeah, it's a hot thing, man. Millennials are uh, killing it on the hard sides seltzer. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, but I think this is probably my last week of uh, the White Claws, and it's probably getting okay. a little monotonous. I'm going to try to venture out, uh, try some other well, things. That's good. I mean, I've I haven't ventured very far out from where I'm at either. So well, you're like right there next to like the pull up, honk your horn, uh, drive by uh, beer place, super craft, super good. So, of course, how is your delicious beer? Uh, it's uh, there's no complaints, man. I love Eureka Heights. They're they're the bomb. They have their own pizza place, by the way. Like really? that sits right in the like. I, I gotta take you. Dude, I hate you. you you've got this <laughs> awesome like metropolitan like townhouse next to this brewery with pizza you got that tesla man you're living that houston life hang on we weren't going to discuss the last one but yeah sure okay <laughs> that was a recent addition well we might think, we might have to think. do a session man we might have to do a full episode interview you on what it's like to have uh one of the most exciting cars in the country i mean it's 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 a pretty sweet car but back to the beer um <laughs> I mean, this is this is a really nice uh white drink that I could definitely crush like six of these and wouldn't feel anything. Like it's, don't don't do that. I mean, I won't do it on the show. You'll end up getting one of those post Malone face tattoos, dude. People have said that I look like post Malone the pre picture before. I was now. gonna say a little bit. Your face shape similar. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see if you got some of those crazy face tattoos, man. You could be that next post Malone. Yeah. So if you see like a post Malone without face tats, it's probably in Houston. Yeah. It's probably me. I get it. Yeah. No, he's a handsome man. You're both handsome men. Anyway, let's. Well, <laughs> we'll glance right over that. We'll hey, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, we'll move on right to these. Uh, these more um, deep areas. These what I w- we would call like if you're really into it, you get like before we'll say the beginning. We were like taking off. Yeah, uh, we were probably at ten thousand to fifteen thousand feet before. Now we're getting into that thirty thousand feet where we're actually like getting up there into the uh, into the deep technical stuff. Yeah, so, yeah, I would say that if if you're you're in the space, you're starting to identify what things are interesting to you, what things will have an impact to your career. Um, these collection of what I call deep tracks are like technology specific channels that aren't going to be all encompassing. We can only cover a few because at this point, there's like there's hundreds, right? Uh, but they're examples of things that normally, I, unless I was in this space, I wouldn't know these things existed. And they're such golden resources that we, we've got to share them. Oh, absolutely. So I think the first one we'll start with is the Snowflake release channel. Um, and Snowflake's a, 
let's make no bones about this. Snowflake is a partner of HashMap, and we do a lot of work with them and yeah. implementing Snowflake Cloud Data Warehouses. So we're going to talk about it. Um, so here's one of the things we Snowflake regularly updates its features. And so sometimes it can be hard even for the people who implement it, like Randy and myself, yeah. to actually stay up to date with all the new evolving features. For example, in January, um, probably about five days before I needed this um, feature, uh, Snowflake released um, Azure Storage Integration. And so when I went on assignment, they were like, oh, we need, we, we actually need Azure Storage Integration. So I go, oh, great. Let me go look up how to do that. And so... Um, yeah, so Snowflake, they have that release channel. It's in their docs. Um, that's something that I actually would love as an email into my inbox. You, you might notice a pattern on how I, I prefer to consume content. I'm aware. <laughs> uh, but you can get really interesting, even like on small releases, there's always something interesting, some new function or syntax change. Um, and I've had situations where I've been in a whiteboard session with a client. They're asking about Power BI single sign-on support. And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't support it. Um, and then while someone else is talking and I'm like, you know, staying busy, but like checking things out, I see in the release channel, they just added support. And I, I like, I had to go back and be like, I, you know, I said they didn't support it. Like literally just today while I checked, um, the release channel, they have support for it now in beta. So, uh, Snowflake as a cloud data warehouse, it's really important for that one particular to stay up to date. And this channel, it, it's great content. They write these releases really well. And I would say any kind of technology that you found to be critical to your particular career, uh, they might have a release channel as well. And they're usually really well written. They're concise. Um, I'd recommend checking those out regularly. Absolutely. Uh, another great channel that's really useful, I find, are Slack channels. I don't know. Oh, yeah. if, like I know you and I utilize Slack channels effectively because, I mean, most software engineering chats happen on Slack, right? These nowadays. Um, but I, I hang out on the Pulsar chat quite a bit because I love that technology. I have a personal affinity for streaming technologies and for those sorts of uh, solutions. Yeah. And I find that it's really great to be able to keep up with all the Pulsar changes as they're happening. What are they developing? How they're thinking about... And then even with the Slack channel, if you have an idea, yeah. you can actually post in the channel and say, hey, I've had this concept. And I did that with Delta and Delta actually adopted one of the ideas that I posted on their GitHub page. And their, Hold on. Is that Delta Lake? Feels like yes. Okay, from Databricks. Databricks, yeah. So okay, I, cool. sorry, I I went a little bit too fast there. <laughs> well, yeah, and then Pulsar. Can you can you? That's Apache Pulsar. Yeah, sorry. Let me be very clear. That's Apache Pulsar. That's an open source technology. Okay. Delta Lake was open sourced, I think, back in October of twenty nineteen, or twenty yeah twenty nineteen. Sounds right. Yeah. Is, so, it, is it not open source anymore? I think it's still open source. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm like, there's no way they like took it they, back. No, I don't think they did that. They might stop developing on it because they're, I think they're letting real like Databricks developers develop on it during company time, which. Well, sure. I of, mean, Databricks does the same thing with Spark, right? Aren't they the single biggest contributor to the Spark project? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they are. Absolutely. So I guess it makes sense that they would just spin off a couple of developers to build the open source version. Let, um, let me second the Slack channel approach. So if sure. you're. We use Slack for work, so it's pretty natural for me to add just another slot in there and check it periodically. Uh, but even before we did, uh, I was on the Kubernetes Slack channel when I was first learning it um, early 2018. And the people in there were really helpful. Um, and you see people asking real questions about how it breaks or the common misconceptions. Um, I don't use that one so much anymore. Uh, but a huge, probably the most impressive Slack channel I've ever seen is the data build tool Slack channel, DBT. Um, they have really strict rules, which at first I screwed up. 
Um, they, they want you to use threads and I hate threads. Um, but those rules keep things so orderly and uh, browsable and it helps make it easy to contribute. So I'm on that Snowflake DBT Slack. Um, I'm not the most helpful. Uh, I really try to help out, but there's there's some people in there that are total Jedi wizards, man, that I'll recommend like, hey, maybe try doing this. And like, well, no, there's a built-in feature that's been there since like version 14.2. Like you yeah. just go, okay, well, yeah, that works too. My hack might, might do it. So um, these yeah. slacks, they're a great way to get to know the community to maybe give back a little bit without like committing to anything. Because mm-hmm. a lot of it, the new questions, they're the same ones over and over. You might know the answer. Um, and it's helped me gain not just an ability to use the tool, but also an intuition for how to design solutions with the tool. Well, you're also getting answers directly from the people who are developing it too. Oh, yeah. so there's, there's huge value in that as well. Cause you're, you're not just getting help from some guy that you may know off LinkedIn or something like that. You actually know that this came from source, that this is the definitive way to do it, or there isn't a way to do it. So you can, it's, it's Which just is, as that's the most valuable when you exactly. can confirm there is not an answer. Cause you'll spend forever trying to find an answer that doesn't exist. Oh yeah. No, it's, I think it's even more valuable to know if a solution doesn't work because then you can go, okay, I need to find a new technology and I can stop wasting my time trying to figure it out with this one. There, there's a unique pleasure to asking a question um, for the first time in a Slack like this, that one of the like main contributors of the project will respond and be like, yeah, that's a good idea. We, we don't do that. What would you want it to look like? And it like, it just feels really cool to be able to, even though you're not doing any work, but like to maybe contribute an idea that might end up in a release. Um, it, it's interesting. And it, it maybe is kind of a gateway to drug to actually contributing to open source projects. Yeah. Hopefully you wouldn't just give, gather business requirements because, you know, every, everybody can gather business requirements, but it, it really takes a, set, a certain type of person to be like, okay, now I want to help. Like, I really want to build in this new feature to be able to work with the source solution. And once you get to that stage, man, you're like, you're an advanced developer. You actually can say, Hey, I'm, I made it. I would yeah. say. Oh, that's for cool. sure. But now that leads you into like, okay, you're ready to take that plunge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then your specific approach you mentioned before is that GitHub approach, which blows my mind. It has been so rare that I've gone directly to a GitHub project first to learn about it. Uh, what, what's that like? So, yeah, let me explain that a little bit because it takes a, it, I have a method when I'm learning new packages and things like that. So essentially if I'm learning a new pack package and I really have to know the language to do this. So I, for let's for example, I don't know Go very well. So okay. I wouldn't be able to do this with the Go project. But with Python or Scala or R, I would be able to do this. So I'm able to go deep into what, um, let's say, I'll start with the, the top layer, see if there are any clients, understand what the client each client does, and then roll down further into the sub-layer of the client. So let's say that there's a, a specific feature that I want to use. Like uh, for today, I was looking at uh, an SFMTP library to try and pull data across a network. So what, I'm going SFMTP. Uh, it's like a server um, that allows you to, to grab files from a distant location and bring it to another location. Is that, is that like SFTP? Uh, it's, it's very similar. It's a little different. Okay. But, yeah. I've never heard of that. Cool. Yeah. Um, one of the, so basically it's handling mail servers. Okay. So it's a oh. very specific, very specific type of server. The emails. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it does the exact same thing just with emails. So, uh, one of the things that I do is I go through and I say, okay, I want to read an attachment. So one of the things that I'm looking at is saying, okay, this attachment, 
if there's a method that's attachment, I'll control F through the through that file that the client is referencing, see what the method actually contains, whether I, what I need to specify, what are optional parameters that I might need to use. And then hopefully there's some explanation on what the optional parameters actually do. If they're good documents, if they're good, well-documented um, code repos, I can figure out exactly how I need to use it. Of course, this, this method fails when there isn't as good a documentation in the code. So this brings gets back to some of the negatives of doing this approach, right? Yeah. And, I, so I mean, while you were talking, I, I thought back to like some really, really horrendous documentation or documented projects I've worked on. Absolutely. Um, I won't name names, but there was like a security framework that I worked on last year that bad documentation, which is fine, right? Because I didn't fix it, right? I can complain all day, but I didn't do anything about it. But sure. diving into the Python code, and I feel pretty good with Python, it really helped give me perspective. But I would never, ever, ever like choose that approach. Uh, but which highlights, I think, a really interesting divide between our two approaches. We do similar jobs, um, but like you, I would say you're the hardcore dev. Like you for sure understand the understand like individual technologies at a deeper level than I do. And I get, I get kind of bored at a certain point. Like once it's working, it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta move on. I've glued this together. I like to glue things together, but anyway. Yeah. yeah. And I understand that approach. And I, I respect that a lot because you get shit done. Right. Like there's a a lot of, right. Yeah. But you, but I also understand you, I've seen you go deep into certain things before and I've seen, I've seen, and we kind of encourage each other to be like, okay, Kieran, that's enough. You can give up. It's <laughs> it's it's ninety percent, right? You got ninety percent acceptance. So you you beat all the use cases and you're done. Boss used to say that I rabbit hold. Yeah, um, yeah. That's, that's what it is. But I think we're we're coming to the end here. We're running out of time. Absolutely. Um, first, I, I want to thank everyone who's tuned in and listened. Um, I know. That, hopefully, you'll notice that each episode gets a little better. We get a little more confident with recording and editing. Um, and being on mic, which can be an awkward experience, but I think this oh, is nervous uh, for me. It's been a nerve wracking experience for me, but I've been getting a little better at it as we go along. You've been a little better, honestly. Um, hopefully, we both have. And if you stick around, I, I don't know the, um, that I can promise too much, but I can hopefully at least promise to be a little interesting and to get better every time. So, um, you know, check in with us at hashmapinc.com. And um, before we actually go, uh, Kieran made a point of saying that while we're talking about all these different ways to keep up with technology, HashMap, our company actually publishes a blog um, at hashmapping.com. Uh, we, we have a, a blog uh, through Medium uh, and we try to publish there really regularly. I think for our size, we generate a ton of content. We you, both Kieran and I have uh, written topics there and we really aren't constrained. That's what I like so much about HashMap. Anything that's interesting to me uh, that I have an opinion on, I can package it. I have a surprisingly like, almost no editorial um, oversight. Like I could post really anything I wanted. Uh, so check those out. And if you want to see something that's not there, please let us know. Um, otherwise uh, we'll catch you at, at, on the next podcast. Thanks for listening to data rebels on tap. Be sure to subscribe for weekly new episodes and visit HashMap's Medium blog for new data and cloud technology perspectives. If you have any comments or suggestions for the podcast, please visit the Data Rebels on Tap page on HashMap's website. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for tuning in.